0: It should come as no surprise to you that in a podcast called Where Did You See God, Scripture has come up often in these conversations with folks who have sat in suffering. And for many of them, Scripture was one of the things that brought healing or depth of understanding. But if we're honest, in the midst of our suffering, sometimes the Word is not the first place we turn. Or if we do turn to it, it's more as a platitude or a quick fix. However, if Scripture is living, active, and God-breathed, God might intend it for something more— That's what today's guest Jonathan would tell you. Jonathan loves the Word. And in his opinion, the Word is immensely powerful in our seasons of suffering for more than we realize. And if we're willing to connect to it, we might just find abundantly more than what we're asking for or imagining. You're listening to episode 148 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for Jonathan and I to connect. And we've never connected before. We didn't even know each other before you brought us to this space. And so we want to step forward in belief that there's something that you want to do. Whatever it is we're thinking, whatever it is we're planning to say, we're releasing it all to you. Take our words and our thoughts, our questions, our answers. Pray that the Spirit would guide us so ultimately that you could be glorified. But also we believe we can come to know you more deeply through this. So we give it to you and we thank you in advance. I'll just pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So Jonathan, you and I don't know each other. We've never met before, but we connected recently. And before we jump in the conversation, what would you want people to know about who you are as we
1: start talking? Well, I was a philosopher, so I do think about a lot of things in depth. And I've learned to sort of harness that philosophical thought process through scripture. So I love reading God's word. When I'm going through things, or I'm going through struggles. I love reflecting on God's word and allowing me to fuzzle out some of those things that, you know, might be stressing me out or making me feel that things are going all wrong. And I find comfort and security when I read God's word and it uplifts me and, you know, gives me hope.
0: Yeah, that's good. And one thing I know about you from our short time is the word is important to you. And I know as we've connected and I've shared that I'm doing this series focused on suffering, there are things within the word that have been popping out to you. And So, yeah, I just want to jump right in. As you've been thinking about this conversation and this idea of suffering, what's God been bringing to your heart?
1: Well, the first thing that God brings to my heart is Romans 15, 4, right? And in Romans 15, 4, it talks about all the things that were written, and I'm paraphrasing here. Mm -hmm. All the things that were written were written for our benefit, our learning, our instruction. One of the things that first came to mind when I thought about suffering and I thought about testing was probably the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, right? And I believe in the book of Job, it says in chapter 1, starting at, I believe, verse 14 or verse 16 all the way to 22 for context, is that obviously, for anyone who knows the story of Job, there was a conversation between Satan and God, and God acknowledges that Job is what is considered blameless, right? He's a blameless individual. As you go through this narrative that's happening between Job and Satan, you realize that God allows certain things to transpire, but it's all about the development of our character. Hmm. And one thing I love about the book of Job is very similar to some things that happen to us in life when it comes to suffering. Sometimes things happen where there's one incident, but what we see in the book of Job is that there's numerous instances Mm -hmm. when something is going on and you see that (laughs) what's going on there is that one person after the next is reporting bad news to Job, (laughs) but one thing I love so much is when you read from verse 16 for the context and you go all the way down to verse 22. It simply says that in spite of everything that's going on, Job did not sin and he did not point the finger at God. Mm -hmm. So just that in itself, just reading God's word and looking and reflecting on that text makes me realize that when I'm going through things, the first thing that I don't want to do is lean on to bad habits, right? Sinning, making choices that I might regret later. However, going to God's word and realizing that, hey, there are individuals in the Bible that mirror some of the things that I go through. And as long as I understand that, you know, when you look into the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I love that chapter in itself because it's talking about faith, right? Faith is a substance Mm -hmm. of things, hopeful evidence of things not seen. Even in that context, we see what is known as the hall of faith, Mm -hmm. right? And there are some that aren't mentioned that deserve mentioning anyway. But you see that throughout all these individuals and what they went through, The key factor in all that is that they place their hope in God. And that's what's kind of stirred some of the things that I've gone through in my life and I'm going through continuously on a regular basis. It's just remembering that when I need comfort and I need a centering, going to God's word has always provided that for me.
0: Yeah. Why is it you think some people don't go to God's word? I mean, and I'm talking like people who grew up in the church, who have read the Bible. Why is it that in the hardest moments, the word might be the last thing we think of?
1: Sometimes it's probably hinging on how a person was saved, right? In some cases, we have the charismatic group where it's a supernatural experience. And what tends to happen is I think once that supernatural experience happens to an individual, They lean on hoping to see signs. The biggest thing is when we read the gospels, the Jews are looking for signs. The Pharisees, the Sadducees are looking for signs. And we hear Jesus says that the only sign you would get is Jonah and the Mm well, And we understand what that's signifying. That's signifying that he's going to be resurrected in three days. And there's the sign, right? And I think because of that, people haven't realized that when God and his word are one, we know that Jesus is the word, right? People don't realize that part of reading scripture is what gives you that security, what gives you that ability to say that I'm not in this by myself. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens is because people don't have a grasp of that, and they don't know, like in the book of Hosea, it says people will be destroyed because of lack of wisdom, right? A lot of that is rooted in the reason why the inspired word of God is here. But because people go through that experience of being saved supernaturally, they sort of don't believe that the Word is highly inspired by individuals like you that have gone through things and God has walked with them every step of the way. And I think because of that, there's some concern about the translation of the Bible. There's concern about the truth of the Bible. And I think because we don't take the time to go in and actually study it, Mm -hmm. we have questions. Right. And there's some things that don't make sense to us. And there's a bunch of ideologies from philosophers and whatnot about the truth of God's word. And I think because of that, that's why there's like a taintness between what I experienced supernaturally by God doing a work in my life and what this book over here says. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the biggest concern the outside noise that we hear from people that are spectating about God's word and then the personal experience that you can have. And I think because you don't have a personal experience with God's word, you're lacking direction. You're lacking security. You're lacking things that you can be reassured about. And I like to call God's word public revelation because it's already happened. Mm. And because it's already happened, we can look to those instances that when these things were done, there was relief. There was things brought not just only to your heart, but to people as a group. I also think about what Jesus said when he was having a conversation with the woman. She said, bless is the woman that birthed you. And then Jesus' response, he says, "Blessed rather is the one that hears my word and does what it says. Also, in the book of James, it tells us, let's not be sayers of the word, but doers of the word. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty much what's going on here, is that people don't tend to want to look and have a personal relationship with their Bible, and therefore their faith in God starts to crumble and they get concerned.
0: You bring up an interesting point Mm -hmm. with the longing for signs piece. Mm -hmm. That passage has always stood out to me Mm -hmm. because the reality was Jesus was actually doing a whole mess of signs (laughs) at that time. And they're saying, we want to see a sign, we want to see a sign. And the dude's like feeding thousands and healing lepers and bringing people back from the dead. And so their longing for a sign, their expectation that a sign is what they needed in order to know what was true, was saying less about Jesus and more about them. And I feel like that's where we can fall sometimes when it comes to scripture. Our qualms with it sometimes are less with the book itself and maybe more what we are longing for or what expectations we have. Honestly, some of that can be shaped by how we present ourselves as Christians and how we present Christianity. I'll give you an example. We really love platitudes. If we see somebody hurting, we want to throw a quick thing at them to try to make them not sad anymore, make them not hurt anymore, or try to fix the situation. And Christians, we often will use scriptures as platitudes. We'll take a verse and use it as a broad sweep without really understanding the context of that verse or the weight of that verse or what that verse may or may not mean for that person. When we do that, we're almost using the Bible as a Hallmark card, Uh right? Rather than something that is inspired by God, given by God as a gift to do abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. Uh And so if our relationship with scripture is simply to fix our issues, to alleviate our suffering, then we're not actually treating and understanding scripture for what it fully is mm-hmm. but if we recognize scripture as god communicating with us not to take away our hardship or take away suffering because jesus said in this world you will have trouble but rather so that we can be in connection with him relationship with him well then we're going to engage scripture in a different way we're going to be more willing to engage scripture but we're also going to engage it differently because we're not siphling through where's the answer to my problem <laughs> where's the specific verse mm-hmm. to fix my issue like There can be beautiful, valuable things about taking a topical approach to Scripture. But if that's all we do, Uh we're not actually seeking connection with God. We're not actually seeking relationship with God. And You you pointed out there's so many spaces in Scripture that get into this idea of suffering and make it clear that there are times where the suffering isn't necessarily alleviated. Uh So take the heroes of the faith, that Hebrews 11 passage, one of the things that it notes is, A lot of them didn't get to see the thing that was promised to them, (laughs) right? There's a suffering in that. Lost expectations, Uh lost desires. We long for a thing and don't get to see it. Like there is a suffering in that. And yet, and yet they were still faithful Uh to serving and seeking God, to trusting God. And Uh I think you bring up an important topic here that... If we really want to understand God in the midst of suffering, and if we really want to understand suffering in the midst of the reality that God created, we need to understand our relationship with the Word. And so how does somebody Uh get to a healthier relationship with the Word?
1: There's a scripture in Romans where it says, let every word for man be a lie and every word for God be true. Hmm. There's actually a point I want to make. I want to say recently I've discovered when reading One of the things Jesus said that changed my whole understanding of my responsibility as a follower of Christ, right? So Jesus makes this statement when he says, we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I believe it says, if the earth loses its saltiness, how can it become salty again? And when you look at the original term of salt, it means prudence, which is supposed to be godly wisdom, godly discernment, and godly judgment. And in that myth, it made me realize, just reading that text, was that so many people as believers or Christians think they have this need to convert everybody, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And I believe that we don't do the converting, right? I believe in Corinthians, it says one person plants, another person waters, but God gives the increase. And I started looking at that verse differently and understanding that as Christians, one of the things Jesus said is that I leave them in a world, not that you take them out of the world. And this is like going back in the Gospel of John. And he's discussing not to take them out of the world, but to leave them in the world. It has to do with us being the hope that, you know, signifies what's in the world. And I came to the conclusion that as believers, we're not supposed to force people on anything. Mm -hmm. It's another text when Jesus is talking to the disciples. And once he's finished speaking, the disciples are talking about, let's call for some fire from heaven. Mm -hmm. Right? Because these people don't want to listen. Let's shoot them down. And one of the things Jesus does in that instance is he rebukes them. Going back to the original text that I'm speaking about is that because we are supposed to be an alternative to society, that's why we read in the book of Thessalonians that you can win outsiders over just based upon living a quiet life. Or we read when Peter talks about if anyone asks for the hope that you have, do it generously and with respect, right? These are opportunities that if people ask you, these are opportunities that people want to inquire about your faith. So I think as us being alternatives to the society allows people to see that no one is forcing you to do anything. We'll give you an alternative and hopefully based upon how we choose to live our life in consideration and under God's law and under God's government, only then you can see how we are living our lives and then be captivated by it. That allows us to open up and share you the gospel. So I think just based upon that, maybe sometimes it's the approach that we have as believers. And the things that we say, we jump right to it of what the end result is. But I think we need to be what it says in First John. We need to be children of the light because God is associated with the light. And if we are children of the light, then the way we carry ourselves will automatically earn the respect of outsiders and automatically inquire, why is it that we live the life so much? Or the people of Israel, why is God so close to these people, right? It's based upon how we choose to exercise and live our life. And I think by then, it's the perfect example that will open the door, that God can use us as instruments of His will, representatives of Him, to share the truth. So I think that's partly what is going on too, that we're trying to force people. And we need to know that Jesus didn't force anyone. He made His statements, and as He made His statements, He lived by example. If we want to be like Him, then we also have to take that same approach. Yeah.
0: Makes me think of that well-known verse that they will know that you are, my beliefs, they will know that you are Christians by your love. It's the love that will make it clear, that will help people to know versus necessarily even what they are saying. Mm -hmm. So somebody could be listening right now Mm -hmm. and hear you saying that the word is important, but it may feel informational to them, right? Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear a time when the word met you in a place of suffering.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I wouldn't even put this in a past tense. I can put this as presently Mm. as I'm continuing to live life. Yeah, I'm in the midst right now of pursuing to be a lawyer, Mm. to go to law school. And immediately after I graduated out of college right now, I'm not doing as well as I would like for a full scholarship. And at the moment right now, I'm in the process of studying, prepping. And in the midst of that, I'm still having things going on in my personal life. Right. When I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and I triple majored philosophy, history, political science at the time, I was able to work for UPS, earn some money, and I brought a car. Now, the two cars that I've owned are not up to date in terms of the years that we're operating. We're in Mm -hmm. 2022, and my first car was my mom's car. It was a 1999 Kia Sophia. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, as soon as I got that car, I had issues. Transmission was not working right. In the midst of that, I spoke with a few mechanics, and I actually went the cheat route. Now, at this time, I built a relationship for working for UPS in Albany. Then I came down to Long Island City, where I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I was working for UPS out there. And during that time, I was racking up money. So this is during the season right now, which is called seasonal working. And this is when it's prime, where the billions volume is up. And with that, you have a lot of opportunities to go out with the driver, to load, et cetera, et cetera. And I built my money up at that time. I remember going to a mechanic, you know, taking the opportunity to, you know, have a new transmission installed. Now, because the car had about maybe 149,000 miles on the car, I chose to get a used transmission. Now that I learned with the wisdom that I've gotten, it's more that you want a transmission that's rebuilt. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I didn't know these things. I'm still learning in the process of it. And having a car is like having a kid, man. It's a lot. It's a lot of work to mm-hmm. carry. It's a lot of work to maintain. You want to ride without any issues. You got to fix these things. So I haven't put the transmission and come to find out the guy puts in three different transmissions in because they're not working. So that's money cost. That's me taking the train. Finally got the transmission in there. There's a couple of other things. The door knob kept breaking off. So because it's a 1999 Kia Sophia, this is in the stage where there is no automatic locks. Everything's manual. Mm-hmm. So like I'm learning all through this. Then the electrical issues, there's something wrong with the converted fan not turning on to keep the engine cool. Then I find out within the electrical system, it's burned out. That's a $5,000 cost, Mm. right? Come to find out, they figure out a way to connect wires to the battery to make it run, but it's not going to pass inspection when it's up. So I remember going back home with it, and this is, I believe, my junior year. Car starts overheating, and I'm just like, man, what am I going to (laughs) do? What am I going to do? And I would say something supernaturally happened. The needle where it was going to the hot went right back down to the middle and I was able to get home. But the first thing that I thought in the midst of that, and you know, I did what the average person does in these instances. I'm praying, I'm not financially stable to do these things, but I'm doing what I can in these circumstances. And the first verse that comes up to me is the book of James, where it says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations to know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish his work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks anything, let them ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Then there's two other verses I think about. I think about, I believe it's Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it's saying that my grace in that midst of it is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. For in weakness my power is great. Or I think about, I believe it's Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. In these instances, in these moments that I was going through, it gave me the right type of attitude and approach that I need to have. I think about in James, when it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because anger is not the righteousness that God our father desires. So in the midst of these, these verses are speaking to me when I'm going through these things. And this is the verse here in Romans 5:35. 5, 5, it says, not only so, but we also glorify in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in these myths and these issues that I've had with the car, it was the hope that I believed that regardless of what my situation was going to be, that God had my back, that God knew what was going on, that God understood that this is what you're going through now, but this isn't always going to be your circumstance, your situation, right? Another passage, I think of Genesis 39 with Joseph, he's doing everything right until he makes a stand not to do anything and he's in prison. And one thing I love about that text is that Joseph is in jail for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes when we read the passages, we don't consider the time frame Mm -hmm. that's going on in those instances. We see, obviously, in Genesis 41, what transpires. But the point is, just like Jesus says, and this is what changed my position and how all these verses make sense to me. I believe it's the book of Luke chapter 8, and it's verse 22 to 25. When the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and Jesus is taking a nap, the winds are going crazy. Mm -hmm. But the key factor is Jesus is in the boat. Mm -hmm. And he had to come to the realization that Jesus is right here with me, that he's right in the midst of what's going on. And I realized that no matter where I can go in the earth, God's always going to be with me. He's always going to come for me. He's always going to be there for me. So even though it doesn't seem right, Favor will come, just like favor came with Joseph, with the prison mate, or the one who was guarding the prison. In those instances where these things have come, God has showed us favor in whether it was the mechanic not giving me the high price, mm-hmm. or whether it was an instance where it looked like I was down and there was nothing that was going to happen. God showed up in these instances and moments for me that changed my attitude approach about things. There's nothing that you're going through that God isn't aware of. Mm-hmm. He knows that you're going through it. Some moments he's going to show up, other moments is to develop your character. Going through these situations and issues with my car has given me an understanding that, you know, you have these ups and downs, but you're learning something in the process of this mm-hmm. so that maybe down the road, you now have some knowledge. You're no longer ignorant of these situations. You're able to go on the offense instead of be on the defense about everything. And as I mentioned to you at the top about Job, I can't sit there and respond and sin. Mm -hmm. I have to take the situation as it is. I shouldn't be blaming God for it, but I should embrace it and count it as joy. Because as I'm going through this, this is giving me more opportunity to trust in God, even in a situation where it seems like everything's going wrong, Mm -hmm. everything's happening. And I speak about this so plainly and so direct because I've moved on from that car. I'm with a Honda Accord 2003 now, Mm -hmm. and I still have its problems. But now I'm in this period where I've overcame a storm and I'm in a period of peace now where nothing's going on. But in the midst of that, just like anything, things break down. You have to fix them. Things go wrong. You have to stand the test of time. And towards the end of it, there's going to be a period of peace. And I believe in life. That's just how it is. Sometimes it's a roller coaster ride. The question is in the midst of those trials, are you counting kind of the joy? Are you trusting God that something is happening way past what you believe is going on in your personal life? Or are you in a season of just blaming God and pointing a finger at God and saying, this shouldn't be happening? This shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. That's why I can speak and point to these verses because, like I said, it gives me comfort to know that, hey, you're not the only one. There's other people that are going through these things. Mm-hmm. And As long as you get through it at the end, you'll be able to tell the story. No matter how successful they are, some people out there, they've gone through some stuff Mm -hmm. and they've overcome it, right? We have to be overcomers. Yeah. How about you? Any experiences that you've had to go through? Oh
0: man, so many. And there's been so many moments where a verse or a passage carried a relevance that even if I had read it a hundred times before, that I had missed. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because, like I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. came down to why and how I was engaging scripture. It doesn't even have to be in a negative way, but I think there are moments that I would be in the midst of suffering that I would desire to connect with God. Mm-hmm. I would desire to be in God's presence, and that would be the place from which I would engage with the word, and suddenly I'd find he was there. Mm-hmm. And this is what's beautiful about mm-hmm. scripture, mm-hmm. right? Is that, you know, you've described a situation in which verse is about persevering were incredibly encouraging and relevant, right? Uh-huh. And scripture says that the word of God is living and active. Yeah. In other words, it's not just stagnant words on a page. Yeah. <laughs> like it, there's a relevancy that carries uh-huh. and verses that were helpful for you in a car situation have also been helpful for people who were facing martyrdom uh-huh. and everything in between. Yeah. So that's the beautiful thing about scripture is the relevancy of it isn't dependent on how much we understand it or how well it's written. It's dependent on the reality that it's living and active. Uh-huh what i love is that scripture isn't meant to be a set of rules or a set it's it's not meant to be like a manual Mm -hmm. that you pull out and like all right let's figure out how (laughs) to live like like you could definitely Mm -hmm. gauge how to live like but the deviation there Mm -hmm. is that it's actually a guide to help us in knowing how to understand and engage reality Mm -hmm. in other words scripture is trying to say this is what reality actually is yeah this is how you can understand it and this is how you can engage it because as people Mm -hmm. we're Already by default trying to understand and engage reality. Yeah. In your situation, the normal human response would be to get really angry at the car, (laughs) or to get really angry at your mom for giving you the car, Mm -hmm. or to get really angry at the mechanic, or to get really fearful. Yeah. Well, what's gonna happen if I don't have transportation? What's gonna happen if I don't have enough money? And all of this is like actually logical. We could get angry at God. God could have stopped this and he didn't. (laughs) So we have all of these logical reactions. To how we're understanding reality
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what scripture does is it says i get why you see it that way yeah but reality actually works in a different way i get why you're seeing god that way but god actually functions in a very different way i get why you're fearful of the financial stuff but money actually works in a different way yeah And what scripture then does is it raises us up, trains us up to understand how to engage reality as it actually is versus how we perceive it. Mm -hmm. Because as you described, you could have had all those reactions, probably had some of those reactions in the midst of it, but ultimately you were brought to a place of trusting that God would still be God and God would still be good no matter what would happen. Mm -hmm. And even the person who's martyred can have that same experience. We see it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because of the scripture that had been poured into their lives, the truths about God and reality that had been poured into their lives, one thing that they knew is that they should never bow down to any other God. The Lord your God is one, like (laughs) thou shalt have Mm -hmm. no other gods before me. They knew that, that was a core truth and reality for them. Mm-hmm. So when they were put in a situation in which another reality was presented, hey, if you don't bow down, you're going to be dead. Mm-hmm. There's probably believers who were saying, hey, look, I know you are not supposed to bow down to anything else, but what good are you going to be to God if you're dead? So just bow down to the statue, but don't really mean it. Yeah. They could have been hearing all these things, but because of the scripture that was in their heart, mm-hmm. they had only one God and that they would have no gods before them. When the point came where they had to make a decision, they basically said, We don't want to die. We hope that God would save us. But what we know about reality is we can't do that. (laughs) We can't bow down. Yes. So we don't know what's going to happen next, but we're going to hold to this bit of reality that we're deciding is truth Mm -hmm. and we're going to move forward. And what do we see? They're not protected from the fire in the sense that we would have wanted it. Because the way we would have wanted it would be Nebuchadnezzar says, Well, I guess I won't burn you today. No, actually, he does the opposite. Mm -hmm. He increases the heat. They weren't protected from the fire in the sense that we would have desired if they were thrown in Mm -hmm. to the worst possible. They were thrown into absolute certain death and came out not even smelling like smoke. And it's because they had operated from that little bit of true reality that they needed to honor God no matter what. Yeah. That that actually allowed them to experience utter reality, which was it's possible to be in fire and not be burned. It's possible to be in fire and not have smoke. That's not true in our understanding of reality, but there is an actual reality in which that was true. Another one for us is death is the end. You die and you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those of us who are believers believe, yeah, you go to heaven, but we still have this fear of death. Yeah. I don't want to die. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to experience all the things. And so we spend so much of our life avoiding death, yeah. being fearful of death. So many of the ways that we operate are based off of fear of death. But what scripture tells us is death has lost its sting. Yeah, And so when somebody operates in a space where they're holding to that bit of reality that they're like, I don't want to die, but I know that there is a deeper, fuller life that God has for me. That's why you have martyrs who are able to step into martyrdom. Yeah, That's why you have people throughout the world who, because they're Christian, are being threatened with death and they're able to do it because they're like, I don't want to be tortured. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be killed. But I know something that you don't about reality. Mm -hmm. I know that if I die right here, that's not the end of me. I know that if I experience pain, that's not going to destroy me. I know this and you don't know that, but I know this. Yeah. And so I'm going to move forward in this step of reality.
1: When you think of church history, you think of what transpired with Nero and killing all the first Christians, right? Yeah. And you saw how some of them who witnessed his resurrection, there's a beautiful text in the gospel when Jesus says, Fear not the one who could take the body, but the one who could take the body and the soul. Mm-hmm. Right. And in that instance, I think of all those Christians who most likely witnessed the resurrection and saw because it said that he made himself appear between quite a few of them. So they were aware of that. And in the midst of where they realized they were going to be slaughtered by the line, they didn't change mm-hmm. what it is. And there's a case in 1972. It's called the state of Wisconsin versus Jonas Yoder. And in that it talks about if your faith is a conviction or preference, right? So we know that a conviction is something that you believe in no matter what, and a mm-hmm. preference is something that changes based upon the circumstance, right? So there are Christians, like you said, over the world, even to this day, that are being killed for their faith. And I believe in the end, they have an understanding that it is better, just like in the Old Testament, not to bow the knee to Baal, but to accept what that is because there's something better for me. Even when you look at Stephen, he understood, when he gave that testimony in there, They stoned him, Mm -hmm. they took him out and stoned him, but it was his view of seeing Christ at the right hand of the father that changed it. And it actually did something that most people would think is weird, right? Mm -hmm. Where it turned for him praying in the midst of him dying for those people. Mm-hmm. Was just like a completely transformation on how it is or or we see court cases today where you know someone slaughters their whole family, but in the midst of it, we see God's love through them that allows them to forgive those who have took the offense of wiping out people in the church. So we see God's love impacted and how a person's attitude and mindset changes in real time. And there are some questions that people have about how is this person able to forget? Mm -hmm. How is this person able to overlook what this individual did to my family members? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I 100% agree with everything that you're saying. And last thing I say is even in that moment. That verse where it says, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Of course, in the instance, I'm somewhat afraid, but I understand that God didn't give me that, that feeling that I'm having right now. Instead, I have to understand he's giving me power. Mm-hmm. He's giving me love, a sound mind. And with a sound mind, you're able to process what's going on and understand that there's more than there's this. Mm-hmm. There's a situation and circumstance you'll be able to get over. And what makes it more powerful is being able to speak about it haven't gone through it, and be able to point to people and see that, hey, things are not going to be the same way all the time. Mm -hmm. And then finally, right, one of the verses that I quote it so much is Philippians 4.13. But I think what a lot of people tend to overlook is the verses before that, right? Mm -hmm. If we go to Philippians 4, but we look at verse 10 as a starting point, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Then he says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So most people use that verse and saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when everything is going great. But they don't tend to acknowledge or admire that verse, even in the midst of when everything's going wrong, Mm -hmm. that you still can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I think we have to change the narrative that, like you say, when we're looking at text and context and in scripture, that. It might be famously understood in the context when everything's going amazing, but it's also a hint of that, that should be acknowledged and recognized when things are going wrong, there's still a sense of how you should continue to worship the Lord at all times and his praise to always continuously forever being in your mouth, even when things are not going great, like David said, even when things aren't ideal, mm-hmm. you still shouldn't lose your acknowledgement and acceptance of who God is in the midst of your trouble and who God is, who can change every circumstance that you'll ever be in and the outlook you should have moving forward. Yeah.
0: I appreciate that differentiation between conviction and preference. Yeah. Because I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people that would prefer to follow God, but then when things get hard or things aren't going the way that they want it, it could be easy to pull back, Mm -hmm. right? Like if God doesn't free us from a hard work situation Mm -hmm. and we know we're supposed to trust God, but then we start to get afraid, well, what if I can't pay the bills? And then we start making decisions from a financial place rather than something God might be inviting us to, right? But conviction says, I don't like the way this is going, but I've made a decision to follow God or I've made a decision to trust what God said about this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. And you make that step forward. What I love about that is that conviction doesn't mean you have to fully understand everything or you even have to be strong enough. It's just you have to be willing enough. And we see this idea throughout Scripture that it's not the people who were the strongest and the brightest and the best. It was the ones who were willing to go into the craziness that God was inviting them to. Faith is a confidence in things unseen, right? Like this idea that we're choosing to believe even if we don't fully grasp it yet. Mm -hmm. Or the guy who said to Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Like I'm I'm here before you. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to recognize you. But I also know the questions that are warring within me. So help me with that as I step forward into my decision to follow you. And so let's say there's somebody who's listening and they want to be able to trust scripture but it's hard because there are all those other voices and all those other fears. How do we grow in stepping into scripture and trusting it?
1: Well, I think Jesus made it very clear, right? He said, all you need is the faithful size of a mustard seed. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. So when you look at the mustard seed and how small it is, what people, I suppose, tend not to acknowledge is we see how small it is, but you don't realize how much it can grow, Mm -hmm. right? It grows and it blossoms into something that's pretty huge. And I would say, so how would a person jump into scripture? Well, I think one of the things that you have to do is you have to change your outlook on listening to the outside noise. Hmm. What makes God so amazing that he's personable, right? Abraham and him were friends. In first John, it talks about fellowship. We go to church, that's corporate fellowship, but fellowship in the context of personal one-to-one interaction to me is what changes the trajectory of what a relationship with God is. So first we have to get into the belief of trusting in him. And part of trusting in him is trusting in the things that he says. Hmm. And a lot of those things, again, is written in scripture. Now, I think we have to get a post on seeing what it is that God is saying or Christ is saying and wrap our minds around trying to understand why does he say that? And I believe that's why so many people are encouragers and inspired us of wanting to read the gospels. Because when we read the story of Christ, we see him in action. We see God in action, operating, moving. And to me, those are the perfect examples of how we see just in those myths. I'll say this, right? In First John, it tells us that they went out from us because they did not belong to us. For if they really would have belonged to us, they would have remained with us, right? So many people get tripped up on, do I have enough faith? Is God really present in these situations? The only way you're going to find that out is through him revealing himself to you, Hmm. right? One of the things Jesus said to the two disciples was he revealed in the scriptures where he was present. That's what he did. He said, in the scriptures, these scriptures were written about me. And this is where it is. It's only through that, then he was revealed to them that they knew who he was. And I did a series on this, Jesus proven versus Jesus revealed. And one of the reasons why I talked about that is because in the midst of studying for the LSAT, there's two different things that we look for. We look for conclusions and we're looking for premises. And premises are factual statements, statistical statements. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us are looking for the sense of that when we're trying to find Christ, where's the facts, where's the statistics. However, when we look at statements like conclusions, it's someone else's suggestions or statements or recommendations that are made in the text that you just read. And the distinction between those two is you coming to realize that with the information provided you, I believe James said, even devils believe (laughs) Mm -hmm. that there's a God, right? But I think we have to come to the conclusion and understanding that faith is, like you said, substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen, right? So the evidence that you're looking for, at least from a logical standpoint, is not going to get you to understand who God is. And he's not operating within that mindset. And it requires submission. It requires you coming down and coming to the realization that when we're looking for wisdom, it tells us in the book of Proverbs, it's the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. That's what philosophy is. It's the love of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So just that, in a sense, it's the way that we're looking for God. And even in Romans, it says just by what we see is evidence of who God is. When we're looking to try to understand why we should look to God's word is we have to look at his story. There are many different accounts for how the world began, right? But I think if we want to understand God's message, he left it here so that you can understand his story. And no other story is going to not be told other than what we know that all scripture is Holy Spirit-breathed. So that is where we will realize, or when Paul says we did not follow clever, devised schemes or different things of that sort in dealing with why we should be looking towards scripture. If you have a supernatural experience, you should at least know that it's still going to point you back to the word, God's public revelation. There are points where God does give you personal revelation. But it also has to align with public revelation. Yeah, it has to align too, because God is not the author of confusion. So unfortunately, until we take that jump, that leap of faith into reading his word, things will never get as personable as you would like. And just like in any relationship, it requires time, effort, and trusting. And the only way that you're going to do that is you have to trust in the inspired words of those that have walked with God that have had conversations with him, that seed of instruction. And I believe just like most people believe, listen, when Abraham left his idolatry society with Sarah, God just said, go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And he didn't know what was going on. In the midst of it, you sort of realize that God allows creativity even in the midst of what's going on, but he will pop up and make his presence known. Mm-hmm. So you still go with your own intuition, but I believe you will be steered in the direction where God would say yes, God would say no. But I believe, just like anything, you will have an understanding of God's communication to you. That's good. Well, let's say
0: somebody's listening, and Mm -hmm. they currently feel like they're in a place of suffering. Okay. If you could say something
1: to them right now, what would you want to say to them? Suffering will subside. I'll say this, right? When Jesus went through the crucifixion, he understood what was happening. He knew what was transpiring. But one of the things he said is he said to his disciples, all of them will scatter. But in the midst of my situation, I'm paraphrasing here, the statement he made is that my father would never leave me nor forsake me, but he would be present with me in this point in time. And as long as you realize God understands what you're going through, he sees what you're going through, you sort of have to embrace this suffering stage that you're going through and count it as joy. You got to count the situation that you're going through as a positive. Because all it does is it continues to add up and give you reasons to trust God even more. There's this verse in Proverbs that I love. It says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick." I think the following version of that it says, "The root of a tree blossoms up into something big." Right? I don't believe I got it all right, but (laughs) the point is, (laughs) even in all that I read and I and I tried to process and memorize it's just too much. Mm -hmm. It feels like every word in God's word has a meaningful aspect behind it. But the point that I'm making is that feeling that you have, where you have hope in something, it makes you sick. But the minute something happens after that, it's like a tree is blown up inside and you feel Mm -hmm. alive like never you was before. So I think even if God, knowing the purpose for what he had for us, he understood that the sacrifice of his son had to happen but I can imagine what crisis felt like once he was resurrected. Mm. He mentioned that he laid his life down and it was all through love. So just remember that when you're going through trials and situations, count it joy and understand that this is something that will suicide eventually. And through that, I believe without a doubt, you'll come to appreciate what you're going through. And Jesus says, be a good cheer for I've overcome the world. And I believe you will overcome your situation. As long as you're placing your hope in God and allowing him to steer your ship and develop you and shape you and mold you into the person that you're going to be. And I guarantee you, just like Jesus said to Peter, you're going to go through these things, but guess what? You're going to come out better than you were before. Mm -hmm. I think in the midst of those moments, you will come out better. You'll be thankful for what you have gone through because you wouldn't be where you are now if you didn't go through them. Yeah,
0: that's good. Well, if somebody wanted to connect with you or what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, there's two ways. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been on the Instagram, but uh, (laughs) I have a podcast Instagram. I mean, you can reach us on the truth of the matter is, but the way it's spelled is actually interesting because even trying to get, you know, the wording Mm. right was a challenge, Mm -hmm. right? Everything's taken. So it's T-H-E, then it's truth, T-R-U-T-H, then it's of, O-F, T, and then it's M-I-S, the truth, of, then it's T-M-I-S, and it's all together. Or I'm one of those people that don't mind engaging in conversation on a personal level. So you can reach me on my email. No judgment here, but my email I've had since I was, I want to say in high school. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's speed, S-P-E-E-D, and then it's E-D at the end of it, 83 at gmo.com. Created that when I was maybe like 15 years old and Uh I've kept it ever since. uh So it's always funny because, you know, most people's emails is with your name on it, Mm -hmm. right? But unfortunately with mine, I sort of kept that played football so that's yeah, sort of why yeah. speed at 83 favorite
0: number yeah. that's why i kept it Yep, no i've, I've got one it's a <laughs> it's a hotmail one and it's like long and <laughs> yeah. really random. And <laughs> so it, it still exists. That's like my, my junk email. That's oh, where if cool. I have to put my email down for something, but I don't want to get stuff back. <laughs> that's where I go. Gotcha. Your podcast is yes. the, the Truth of the Matter Is, and people can find that wherever mm-hmm. they listen to podcasts. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Apple,
1: mm-hmm. Spotify. All the classics. You name it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed this conversation and the press into the word. And before we close out, Is there anything
1: else that God's putting in your heart that you feel led to share? Well, first, I want to just say thank you so much for having me on. I feel like any opportunity that I have just to talk about God's word and significance about Mm -hmm. it. There's just a feeling that's inside me that grows. Because to me, anytime two or three are gathered in the midst, there's the Father. Mm -hmm. So to me, just moments of just being able to talk about God's word, no matter what culture, background, age, to me, it's always an amazing thing. because. I mean, ever since I set my eyes on God's word, it's really changed how I've saw my experiences, the psychological situations I've experienced, the philosophical experiences that I've read about or I've read in context outside of it. There's a bigger thing at play. Now, it's not something where I'm looking for a situation to fall on God's word, but it's God's word that falls on every situation that I go through in life. Mm -hmm. has made me realize that my first question is when they said the word of God answers every situation you ever go through. I laughed the first time I heard that, Mm -hmm. but now I can see stepping away and actually going through it, that it may not fit the exact fold like a sock, but there is almost every situation, no matter old or new, that you've gone through. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Solomon that said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Mm -hmm. It's Things that are just continuously happening, maybe in different time periods, but it's the same old story and dance. And for that, I just want to say, if you really press into God's word and you really take it upon yourself to get to know him through it, I believe that some of the things that are going on that you're experiencing, you realize, hey, God spoke about that. God said that. I shouldn't be worried or concerned because he foretold it before it even happened to me. So I should just be thankful and appreciative that he's taking the time out to have it written to benefit me so that either I don't make the same mistake or I shouldn't be surprised about it. You-
0: Psalm 119 is one of the most epic chapters in the Bible. Clocking in at 176 verses, it dives deep into this understanding of what the Word is and why it's so powerful. One section in particular came to mind as I thought about the conversation with Jonathan. It starts at verse 105. Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. What encouraged me most about this passage is that only the first verse is what came to my mind. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I had no recollection of how relevant this section actually is. It talks about suffering. It talks about others standing against us. But in the midst, it talks about what Jonathan has invited us to. To choose to engage the word. To choose to trust the word to the very end. The psalmist here has an understanding of the Word that I think often we don't. A reverence, a respect, yes, but also an understanding of the depth of power that the Word holds. The psalmist has suffered much, but knows that the Word has promised that the Lord will preserve his life. Snares have been set for him by wicked people, but he chooses to not stray from what God's invited him to. For the psalmist, it doesn't matter how hard life gets, how unjust it seems, the Word remains clear, constant, and worth keeping. What we might need to do is ask ourselves, how am I understanding the Word? What am I expecting from the Word? And why has God actually given me access to the Word? Because here's a hard reality. There are so many in the world right now that are in the midst of suffering that don't have access to the Word like you do. For some, their access to the Word is at most the memorization of certain verses, but they hold to those verses. For others, their access is when they happen to be in the presence of someone else who has access to the Word. And so you have a tremendous gift, privilege, and opportunity simply by the fact that you have access to the Word in the midst of your suffering. So, knowing that you have access to a life-changing, powerful gift, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to value it? How are you going to engage it? The psalmist would tell you that this is more than just a collection of words. It's a lamp for your feet. No matter how dark things get, the word can illuminate your path. But in order for it to be that, the psalmist makes it clear that you've got to be committed to it. I have taken an oath and confirmed it. I will follow your righteous laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. This language can sound like rules and regulations, but for the psalmist, it's life. It's the promises of God, the clarification of actual reality that the psalmist knows is his path to actually thriving, to experiencing full life. And so he joyfully commits to them. In the midst of your suffering, the word is not meant to be simply a user's manual, a collection of platitudes, or your vending machine for solutions. The Word is your access to the God of the universe, who has, through others who have gone before you, given example after example of who He is, what He can do, and what lies ahead. In the midst of your darkest seasons of suffering, the Word can be a light. Allow that light to illuminate your path, and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation, but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should, since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called a journey through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, You could go to www.wharedityouseegod.com revelation and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're gonna want a place to write things out because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through revelation, whatever you feel about revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out.
1: And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?